everybody. Uh, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, here today with my buddy Jeremy Eldridge, Hoyt Marketing Manager. And welcome back to the podcast, the foremost whitetail authority in the country, Bill Winky. Hey, Bill, how are you doing? I'm good, Danny. I, I like this. This podcast is actually really, really good for my ego and my self-image because I'm <laughs> like the only person that says that, which, I mean, we could do one of these every day and I think my life would be better. So maybe we could put that on the schedule every morning. You can, you can say something like that to me, but no, I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm no looking sweat, forward to man. it. We had it's a lot sincere. of fun last time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. The last one went really well. So we're hoping for another, uh, I mean, I know it'll be another good one, but uh, yeah, we can't hardly talk about white tails without wanting to get Bill on again. Yeah. And it's that time of year. Um, uh, I know it'll take a couple of days to get this thing posted up, but it's early October. By the time this thing's running, it's probably going to be firmly into mid October and, uh, it, it's time. It's time to talk about whitetails. Everybody's thinking about whitetails, including me. Yeah. Um, That's, I mean, I've started getting pictures already. People sending in pictures. They're, they're oh, yeah. Ones are already, you know, being tagged, putting their people putting their tags on good whitetails already. So, yeah, I, so I know of a bunch of them. Yeah, this has been a really good, good start to the season for sure. Well, our topic of discussion today has to do with October. Um, we're going to talk about how some people are considering October to be the new November. And the fact that there are a bunch of deer being uh, big deer being taken big in deer. October. And I, I mean, noticeably, a lot of people are saying noticeably more than there used to be. And, you know, I've, I'm one of those guys that when I had a uh, a week to plan a whitetail trip out to the Midwest or something like that, um, I hated doing it like the last week of October. There were lots of guys out there that would say, oh, it's a great week, you know, going into Halloween and, you know, that whole week prior to it is, is one of the best weeks to be out there. Well, in my experience, I, I haven't had really good luck that week, but um, uh, I'm probably doing something wrong. Um, so, Bill, with all that in mind, uh, what's your... What's your opinion? Do you think that that October has become better? Let's start down this. Well, I, I don't, you know, we might as well uh, cut right to the chase. I mean, October is not the new November. Um, no. No, but that doesn't mean that we're not killing more big deer in October than we used to. And I think that's where the, the fun of this conversation is going to center, is going to be figuring out why we're killing more deer in October than what we used to. And, and, uh, there's an opportunity here that, you know, all the years of writing for the magazines, I never really believed that now I truly believe that October represents uh, a very good opportunity for filling, uh, white tail tags with mature bucks. So that's, that's my, let's say the, the conclusion, we'll start with the conclusion and work backwards. But, um, yeah, so I, I think the reason that we're killing more big deer in October is two things, three things, maybe um, most importantly, we're just getting better at it. Um, you know, more people are starting to have success in October. So more people are hunting October and you're going to kill more deer if you're hunting than if you're not, you know, a lot of guys would sit the month out and wait for November or they would hunt very sporadically. Uh, I think they're putting a lot more effort into October 
And uh, the focus has shifted now from just going deer hunting to trying to pick a specific buck to hunt. And when you do that, trail cameras become the centerpiece of your strategy. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And the more you use these trail cameras, the more you start seeing patterns and you start finding bucks that are daylight active. Um, Most of the bucks are not going to be daylight active in October. That's just the reality of it. But if you know of the one or two that is, shoot, I mean, that deer is killable. So now all of a sudden we can pinpoint those killable bucks. Whereas before we used to just go deer hunting and it's like, yeah, we didn't see much, you know, nothing was moving. Well, most of them aren't daylight active in October, but some of them are. So that's the key, I think, is we've gotten better at figuring out which bucks are actually killable and then targeting those deer. And uh, I I believe those are the two the two main reasons. The other thing, too, is we've had a lot of cold fronts in October over the past few years. And uh, every one of those passing cold fronts, even if it's the first week of October, represents an opportunity because the bucks definitely move better during the day when you've got a passing cold front. Um, and like I said, we've just been really fortunate last year. We had a cold front every single weekend of October. We had four. Wow. Of them. Yeah. Every single weekend they fell and it was like, man, we killed so many big deer in October because so many people hunt weekends until the rut and then they take their vacation. Well, when you've got a cold front every weekend, you know, the, the numbers start to stack up pretty fast. So those are the elements I think that can make October good. Um, you have to be selective. You can't just go deer hunting and you don't want to really dive in on top of your best spots because you could you know, ruin those areas prior to the time when the bucks that are using those areas are actually vulnerable. Uh, you could educate deer to make them less likely to move naturally later when they would be more killable, uh, if that makes sense. So you're, you really have to be selective and you've got to focus on specific bucks uh, and specific time frames. You know, like I said, primarily cold fronts. Uh, if you do that, you can really do well in October. And, and uh, I just think people have gotten better at that. So, uh, you know, that, that's where you, that's where I've, I've, I've noticed it over the past few years. And we've dug a little bit deeper, I think, underneath the, the conclusion that it's not November. I mean, they're not breeding. The bucks aren't chasing does as, as aggressively, but that doesn't mean we can't kill them. Well, part of what I think people mean by is October the new November isn't necessarily are the deer doing are they running earlier it's is october does october represent a better month or higher likelihood of taking a big mature buck versus november um and i think that they're only assuming that is because they're they're seeing some of these big bucks that are being taken but my experience over the years has been (laughs) it hasn't been good experience during october I was not heavily relying on trail cameras, uh, for one, um, for two, you know, it always seemed to me like September, you had those times where, you know, all the way through the velvet and just after the velvet came off, you could look in any crop field or any food source and you would see them out feeding nice and early. And then October, it seemed like they went nocturnal and, it seemed like the bigger, more mature bucks were so focused on gaining weight and preparing for the rut that it seemed to me like they would find a little hidey hole where they didn't have to travel for food. They didn't have to travel for water. And almost like these big gluttons would just lay down. And if they could lay in one spot and reach their head over to the right and eat and then 
lean it over to the left and drink, that that's exactly how they'd stay for most of the month of October. So if you didn't find that one hidey hole, and like you were talking about, Bill, some of the some of the deer are 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 getting up and and getting active before it gets dark, but a lot of them aren't. Yeah, I think I think you're actually pointing out what we've referred to as the October lull over the years. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I remember I had that conversation with one of the leading biologists one time, and he said, there's no such thing as an October lull. And I said, well, you need to come and look at my trail camera photos then because I can show you one. <laughs> but right. his, his point was that they're still on their feet the same amount of time during daylight. They just aren't in the same places. Uh, so, right. so the lull isn't in effect a true, uh, you know, behavioral or physiological lull necessarily with the bucks. It's more of a location driven event. Uh, the places right. where we expect them to be and where we've seen them in September, they stop going to those places in October. Uh, so what your definition of, of what you see these bucks, you know, behavior wise, that is actually the definition of the October lull. Um, Right. The thing that really kicks into gear there is most parts of the whitetail range have acorns and uh, they start dropping pretty profusely in September. You know, so mm -hmm. throughout most of October, there's a lot of acorns on the ground uh, so that the deer won't come out in the open as much because they do like acorns. I mean, they'll eat certain types of acorns more readily than they'll eat anything else. So they don't right. have to leave the timber. So unless you've got your trail camera buried, you know, 20 yards from their bedding area, which would be a bad idea, um, you're going to swear that there's an October lull. Uh, right. So right. I, I think that, you know, that's it's more of a question of, you know, how you phrase it or how you define it. I believe there's a lull because the bucks aren't moving in the places where I can, you know, realistically kill them. But biologists sure. say that there's no lull. And that's because, you know, of, of what their radio collar and, and GPS studies have shown them. Do you think physiologically, though, that those bucks have gone into a mode, that weight gaining mode, to where their bodies are telling them, I don't want to travel far. I don't want to move a lot. I want to spend my energy eating. So they find that hidey hole, that pocket that offers good food, good feed and access to water. And they, their, their, their circle of where they hang out just shrinks during that time. I, I think it's... I think that happens for sure, but I think it's testosterone driven. Uh, I think when they break up their bachelor groups, which is sometime during the first couple weeks of, of September, sometimes a little bit sooner than that, um, mm -hmm. they go through this behavioral change where they become more like hermits and, and mm -hmm. you know, they will change. Some of them will disperse pretty long distance from their summer to, summer to their fall ranges while others maybe won't. But they don't live next to each other anymore. They don't tolerate each other like they did during the summer because that testosterone level is rising. And that's driven, you know, that drives their shedding of the velvet, that drives their dispersal. And that also drives their behavior, which becomes a lot more uh, independent and reclusive. Because uh, mm -hmm. I, I, they do it even in places where there's no hunting pressure. They have that period. Right. So we know that it's not you know, everybody says, oh, well, now the hunters have come into the woods, the squirrel hunters or whatever, they've educated these bucks and now they're not moving. That's not the case. There's something just uh, driven by their rising testosterone level that makes them act that way. Uh, I don't know if they can foresee the rigors of the rut 
or if it's just built into their systems, you know, that they were created that way, you know, where right. they, they scale it down and, and they, you know, they hole up, but it's, I think it's just their temperament. They just get grumpy. You know, they're just, they don't want to see other. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're just like, leave me alone, you know? And, and uh, yeah. So, so that's, uh, I, th- I think it's a, a, a reality of October and the biggest challenge of October is those bucks, some of the bucks that we're most excited about hunting, they aren't leaving uh, maybe a 50 or 100 yard radius of their bedding area. Um, right. But that doesn't mean that some others aren't. And that's the beauty of, you know, the trail cameras and, and the way that we can learn, you know, what specific deer are doing. We don't have to just go hunting and hope for the best. We can actually figure out which ones are killable and where and then target those right. deer. So. Again, I think that's why October has gotten so much better. It's not because the deer have changed their behavior. Uh, it's because we've figured out how to pick off those few vulnerable ones. Sure, sure. Well, and I, that leads me to a little bit of another question. Um, it's always seemed to me like the younger bucks will stay in the bachelor groups longer than the older bucks and that the older bucks are the ones who get the grumpiest, who, who really are most likely to go into isolation. I mean, for instance, just two nights ago, there, there's a big whitetail here in Eastern Colorado that we've been hunting, uh, here, here over the last week. Um, and he's by himself. We've spotted him, uh, a couple of times, you know, right at last light he's by himself, but you go over the hill and here's a bachelor group and one of them's a decent buck that's in there. He's probably not as old as the buck that we're chasing, but he's a, he's a framey, really nice buck that we'd be happy to take. And he's, he's with two other bucks still. And they're, you know, we've watched them spar and everything like that. Um, but this older buck is definitely grouchier than those bucks and less tolerant of having another, uh, uh, another buck around. It seems like, do you think that that is, that is true and 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 when did when do you think it switches from they come out of the velvet they start doing some sparring and things like that and and when do you feel like it switches to a little bit more serious sparring like a little bit more serious fighting where maybe the use of a decoy might come in handy start to come in handy is that mid-october bill or late October? I, I think as soon as they shed their velvet, they start working their way through the pecking order. And uh, mm-hmm. some of the bucks already know where they rank, but they might have to let the younger ones know. Um, and, and some of them don't know where they rank and they're trying to figure it out. So, you know, I've seen a lot of sparring in uh, mm-hmm. September and October, and it always attracts other bucks. Just the the bull of the woods may just come over there and just stand next to him and say, look, guys, you know, this is a joke. You know, I'm here now. Um, Right. You know, but he may not engage in any of that actual sparring or whatever you want to call it. It's more of a a hierarchy dominance establishing sort of an activity. Uh, So I believe the decoying and rattling, you know, sparring will work just as soon as they shed their velvet uh, right right on through. I don't think you have to wait until they get really aggressive. Uh, because at that point, the sparring isn't usually sparring. It's all out trying to kill each other kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, they'll come to rattling into a decoy well before they try to kill each other. Right, right. 
and the 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 killing each each other doesn't really start until the first first does come into heat. You think? Yeah, that's right. Because they're fighting over those does uh, typically. Right. Sometimes they're still trying to establish dominance. I think, and they just get carried away. But really, I believe that the the knockdown drag out that's all about you know one buck trying to take a doe from another buck. Right. So you feel like as soon as they come out of velvet, they're they're kind of in that they're kind of in that mode. Yeah. Um, but yet you've got, you know, in late October, I see younger bucks, two-year-old bucks that start chasing does like crazy who think the rut is already here. Right. And I'm always told that, yeah, those bigger bucks, they're not going to start doing that until the actual first does come into heat. And is that just experience and they just know better? Yeah. I think it's, uh, also you, you, you'll have some, I think we touched on this a little bit, maybe on our last podcast, but it's worth discussing more, but you have variations in the Mm -hmm. personalities or the individual behaviors of the bucks. So you, you can't make a rule that says, you know, mature bucks do this and younger bucks do that. I mean, I think it's easy to say younger bucks, you know, do something and have that pulled up. But as soon as you say older bucks do this, then it's like, well, some of the older bucks do that. Um, so right. it's such a, that's what makes them so fascinating to me and, and why it'd be really nice if everybody had the opportunity to hunt bucks that got some age on them because they start to become unique. And, uh, mm-hmm. I won't say that no two are the same because once in a while, obviously the the behavior will be similar, but you have to hunt them all as individuals and you you study their behavior and you find that this one is, even though he's six years old, you know, he's very non-dominant, you know, he, he runs from a fight, whereas this one, you know, he can't wait to get in action. You know I mean? It's, they all have a different personality, so to speak. Um, So that's why I think that as a general rule, the older deer, the older bucks, they tend to know when things are actually happening. But right. that's not to say that there's not the odd one here and there that, that feels as oats, you know, when there's a cold front going through. Um, you definitely will see that. You'll see the odd older buck out there kicking around, chasing does even in October when there's a cold front going through. And there's no way that that doe is in heat. Um, he's just, right. he's well, just getting, you know, he's just getting antsy. He's, his testosterone's pushing him and he's feeling his oats. Right. Right. Well, and so we do know, and your, your opinion is, is that there are more bucks, bigger, mature bucks being taken in October than there used to be. It's not just a social media phenomenon where we are, we, we see more of them and there were always this money being taken. You think that there has actually been an increase? Yeah, I really do. And, and I think it's because, um, you know, success leads to success and people are seeing other guys killing them and, and they're, they're not waiting, uh, like they right. used to, um, it, it so used, there's just, there's more people getting out there earlier. Yeah. And they're, and they're smarter about how they do it, I think. Um, so they're, they're targeting, like I said, those bucks that are more vulnerable. Uh, I mean, I'm not hunting right now. And the main reason I'm not hunting right now is because I don't want to shoot one. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I could go try to shoot some does, I guess, but I mean, I, I've got bucks on trail camera right now that are killable, uh, mature bucks and I'm not hunting them because, you know, I don't want to miss the month of November. Um, right. You know, I'm not going to do a lot of traveling this year. Um, so I've got, you know, a, a select 
a select number of tags I can fill. I'd rather just put my days in and I guess I could go and, and not shoot, you know, but right. there are bucks that I know of right now that are killable in my hunting area. I'm just not hunting them. Um, right. But there's some really, really nice ones that aren't killable too. I mean, I could, I could show you the difference on my trail camera photos. You know, some of them are very daylight active on three or four different cameras, which means they're covering a lot of ground, very killable. And there's some that you're only getting at night, you know, on one camera, which in my mind, those, are, those bucks are not killable. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where I think we've just gotten better at, at being able to, to focus on the ones that make sense. So Bill, when you say you have bucks on your camera that are killable, are these bucks that come November, you would shoot them? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I just don't want to be done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you just holding out cause you enjoy the rut yeah. so much. You, you want to be out there. Yeah. So you're, even though you have bucks that you could go kill or try to kill right now, you're just holding out cause you want to be out there first, first week. In yeah. And I don't mind if I don't actually kill one in November. Um, right. You know, it, you know, you get a certain point in, in your white tail hunting career, I think where you just want to hunt and, uh, right. You're not going to hunt if your tags are filled. <clears throat> and, and I don't have out of state spots lined up right now. I mean, we, you know, we've, <clears throat> excuse me, we moved and we're in a new, you know, new location here. So I've got more responsibilities around home and you know, I just haven't set up to do a bunch of traveling right now. So, you know, I, I don't want to fill my, my tag. <laughs> so right. I mean, I, I'll, right. I'll go and hunt some does or just, you know, bum around at some point, but I'm spending a lot more time just, you know, checking cameras and just soaking it up. You know, the, the, the not, you know, not the, uh, the lethal part of the sport, but the part that yeah. you really enjoy just being in those wild places. Um, so, it, you know, again, it, I don't want to sound like a guy that doesn't like shooting them. I, I do like shooting them. Um, I just love hunting. No, too you're much. just, you're, you're, you're experience driven at this point and mm-hmm. not necessarily success driven. Yeah. And, and I totally get that, you know, um, to me, uh, even if you, if let's say that you do have a big buck that you want, you want to take pattern during October, well, you might sit there for five days with virtually no action before he follows his pattern and you actually get a shot at him versus if you did the same thing during November, you might put the same five days in, but it might be a whole lot funner five days. Well, the, what I'm hoping is that I'll put in 30 days in November and kill him rather than three days in October. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. Or I'll start, yeah. I'll start serious hunting around the 25th of October. Um, and then just go right on through and in Iowa, of course we can hunt every single day. Uh, I have no problem whatsoever being out there every single day. Uh, right. You know, and, and so if I go now and I've got this buck pattern and targeted and he's killable and I kill him now, then what, you know I mean? I've got this hunting yeah. area that I can't wait to spend time on and I've already tagged out. Um, you know, so that's, that's the, that's the, you know, the bittersweet part about filling tags. The driving um, factor. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and I was fortunate before, I mean, we've sold the, the, the farm that I had before with a landowner tag, I could kill one and then continue to have another one. And with that landowner tag where I can keep hunting through the rut and just wait and wait and wait, you know, and, you know, and this sounds bad, but I would intentionally hunt spots that weren't great. Um, you know, with that second tag, because I didn't want to fill it. Uh, you know, I'd, hunt spots where, you know, I, I knew there was an outside chance maybe, but more likely it was going to be some does that came past or whatever. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, I've killed enough of these things really. Uh, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to sound like a, a you know, a, 
person who doesn't want to shoot them. Uh, I just don't, I want to be hunting. You know, I've only got so many seasons left, right? So I don't want to be sitting inside, you know, sure. waiting for the next season. I want to be out there as yeah. much as I can. Yeah. So that's the problem. That's one of the downsides of October. If you've only got one tag, um, yeah. you know, who, you, you're going to miss the rut if you fill it in October. Well, yeah, let unless me, you have something planned. Yeah, unless yeah, you, unless you can go out of state. Yeah, you want to have backup. Stay. You want to have a plan B, plan C. You know, you want to have some stuff that you can move into. Um, then it makes all the sense in the world. I could hopefully, or in theory at least, have one dead already, um, you know, if I wanted to badly enough. So for guys that are in, you know, it, it, it'd be great to be able to head out every day in November in the Midwest somewhere, but for guys in say me and Jeremy's position where we're going to go out there and we're going to be, I, I have a Iowa tag this year okay, and good. I'm going to be out there for, uh, um, eight days or something like that. Um, if I was, if I had to do it during October, if I was going to do it during October and I didn't necessarily have all of the, you know, I think that we've established that another one of the reasons that so many October bucks are being taken is because there's the use of game cameras and people getting better at using game cameras and more game cameras. Um, if I didn't, if I wasn't privy to that, but I wanted to go out and ha stand a chance in October, what would you tell me to do, Bill? Um, what part of October would you tell me to go out? And then how would you tell me to approach it? Well, I think the, you know, for sure, the deeper into October you get, the odds keep going up. So, mm -hmm. you know, the last week of October is going to be better than the first week. Uh, but sure. then, you know, one step further than that, if you can focus on those cold fronts, uh, those are going to be critical, more critical in October than they are in November. I mean, they're definitely helpful in November too, but they're absolutely critical in October. We rarely kill bucks in October on just a nice 75 degree day. It's, it's not very often. I mean, that, that has to be a buck that's really daylight active. One that's kind of thrown all caution to the wind. And occasionally we'll, we'll have those deer. I mean, we do, you know, once in a while have bucks like that, you know, but, um, the odds really go up when there's a cold front in October. So that, that's so what break you break out the farmer's alm yeah. almanac. Before. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't schedule, don't schedule your vacation. Just tell your boss, Hey, I'm going to come in some days and some days I'm not. And, and yeah, <laughs> see how that goes yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you could schedule your vacation based on the weather forecast, then this would be a pretty easy sport. Uh, but yeah, you know, we can't predict those dates, unfortunately. So, the more flexibility you've got, the better, because they're super, super important in October, more so than, than November is hitting those cold fronts. Okay. And then, um, and then where, I think, I think food Google? sources, should you, should you be hanging a game camera as soon as you get there? If you're going to be there for one week, <laughs> mm -hmm. should you get a game camera or two out as, as quickly as possible? Um, and, and then, uh, hang a stand in a certain type of location yeah i think if i was doing it that way i would put the cameras out uh, as soon as i got there in, in a few select locations i wouldn't go into the cover i would be on fringes um feeding areas ideally um and uh i mean i'm i'm pretty crazy when it comes to the the scent control around cameras you know because mm -hmm. 
you can really impact the behavior of the deer if you're leaving human scent when you're putting your cameras out or when you're checking, you know, pulling the cards out of them or whatever. So I wear actually chest waders, um, you know, and, and I don't wear oh, the, wow. yeah, I don't wear the neoprene ones because I, I just don't know if the neoprene leaves odor. I wear the PVC style waders, uh, the old school. And, uh, you know, I scrub them down really good with unscented soap and, and, uh, you can get away with whatever you want to when you do that. Uh, because even if you're walking through a little bit of brush or something to get to that spot where you're going to put the camera, you're not leaving any scent in those spots. And, and, uh, cause the last thing you want to do on a short, you know, short turnaround like that is let the deer know that you're there, you know, because you're trying to hunt them at right. the same time. You're trying to figure out what they're doing. Um, you know, and if you can drive reasonably close to the location, I would do that. Uh, try to match normal human activity. You know, if the farmers are out combining or something like that, you can get away with a lot more, you know, around those field edges and those deer are going to tolerate that behavior and they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be impacted by it. So take, <clears throat> excuse me, take advantage of that kind of stuff. And maybe you could drive up to some spots and just step out, you know, and put your camera up and then drive off. Um, that's the sort of stuff that you want to do on that short notice, short turnaround, uh, where you mm -hmm. can, you can get those cameras deployed without the deer knowing it. Um, because if you're going in to hunt a spot for a week, the last thing you want is the deer to know that you're there. Uh, that's the right. rule. Number one is to keep them moving naturally that's more important than having trail camera pictures is having them moving naturally. Right. Um, so don't, don't give up that low impact approach just to get photos. Uh, it's, it's, that would be, that would be a, a catch 22 for you. Uh, so the places I would focus on, I would, I would definitely spend my evenings around green food sources, maybe a little bit of corn, you know, they're, they're hitting beans, you know, some now, you know, their grains are starting to, you know, have a, a role in their diet, but the green sources are still going to be, you know, very attractive. You know, we're talking about clover, basically clover, alfalfa. Um, right. If you know where there's a bunch of acorns on the ground, you know, if you know there's an oak grove that has a lot of acorns that are dropping, um, that would be a spot to sit. You know, I wouldn't do a ton of scouting to find those places. I mean, ideally, that would be something that you already kind of had in the back, you know, the back of your mind coming in. Um, right. You can't, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't hardly beat those locations. Uh, you're going to see a lot of deer, you know, whether you see a specific buck or not, you know, that's going to be somewhat luck, you know, at that point, you know, without having the, the trail cameras to lead you. But uh, right. you, you can't go wrong sitting on acorns in October. Uh, and then as you get to the last week, then I think the getting around those does is going to start to become more relevant, you know, and, and uh, okay. the first three weeks of October, it's really about the bucks doing what bucks do. And then starting the fourth week of October, it starts to cycle back to really, you know, being on the doe patterns more. So then you're looking at it, trying to figure out where are the does, where are the does bedded? You know, how do I find a way to get? you know, close to what, what the does are doing or, or near the does without them knowing it. Uh, that's pretty much the, the strategy for the whole rest of the rut is just right. be, being around the does. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully that, that gave at least some direction. So what about scrapes during October, Bill? Yeah, I think um, there isn't. Yeah, go October's ahead. when they start establishing <laughs> their, 
their territories and their and and working scrapes more heavily, isn't it? Yeah, I would say scrapes in October are are useful. Uh, scrapes in November aren't, in my opinion. Right. Um, and everybody right. thinks, well, when the rut comes, I should be sitting on scrapes. Well, they've already sort of run their course. You know, scrapes. Everybody thought, well, that's where the bucks meet the does. It's not. I mean, that was a, a mistake that the that the experts came up with at that time with you know, the limited amount of information that they had. They're not meeting does at scrapes. They're just making them as they're passing through their area on the trails that they use, they stop and make a scrape or maybe they'll pop mm-hmm. out on the field edge. It's more about telling the other bucks, Hey, I'm here. You know, this is who I am. Uh, than it is to communicate to the does anything specific. Um, and, and a, maybe somebody will prove me wrong, but gosh, I've spent, you know, we talked about sitting every single day of every single rut for the last 30 years. Um, that just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. Um, so scrapes, right. they really aren't a factor once the does are starting to come into estrus or even as they're approaching, uh, because then the bucks are physically seeking the does. They're not trying to, you know, to use some kind of a communication system. Uh, mm-hmm. They're out there walking around, sniffing the ground and, and chasing them and smelling the spots where the does will, you know, the, they'll usually stop and squat down and tell the bucks, you know, by peeing, whether they're in or not. Um Mm-hmm. There's a lot of communication systems that they use that are very, you know, uh, contact driven, not mm-hmm. this whole, you know, I'm sending you the secret message on this scrape. Um, that doesn't work. Uh, so anyway, coming back to your, your, uh, your question, they are, I think, more effective in October. And I think it does make sense to hunt scrapes in October. Um, I don't think it makes sense to hunt them in November. Okay. What about the pot? What about possibly doing a mock, you know, establishing a mock scrape or trying to get one established. Yeah. So like you said, even if a buck's coming through at night, let's say that he comes across a big new scrape um, and you can draw his interest in it. Is there a chance that he comes back to that scrape the following day or something like that to see who this is that uh, has, has just entered into his territory? You know, and, and, and again, this might be limited by, by my perception, but uh, a lot of people have tried to make a case for taking nocturnal bucks and, and playing different games with them to make them daylight active. And one of the things that they played around with is lots of mock scrapes saying, Hey, if you put a lot of mock scrapes out, then the buck's going to be busy. You know, he's going to be too busy to make it back to his bed by you know daylight. I just don't buy it. Um, either they're daylight active or they're nocturnal. There's, there's enough natural scrapes out there. If they wanted to be daylight active, they could stay busy. Um, so I don't feel like you change their behavior by putting out a mock screen. Right. Uh, I feel like they're moving through an area because that's their natural tendency and they stop and make a scrape or they check or freshen up a scrape or whatever. If you put one there, there's a pretty good chance he'll stop there. Um, but right. I don't think you're pulling him there with a mock scrape. Um, he has too many natural options out there that are between where he's at and where your scrape is. Um, but if he's coming there anyway, or near there, mm-hmm. like you might be able to pull him across a one acre food plot to hit a scrape that you built, you know, within 20 yards of your tree stand that you might be able to do, mm-hmm. but to say you're going to pull him, you know, from 200 yards away and he's going to hit it during the day when he normally wouldn't be moving during the day. Uh, I don't, I don't believe right. they have that kind of power. So the only thing that you feel can get them up when they're nocturnal is cold. Yeah, or cold just, front. yeah, they have to want to. 
Um, I don't think yeah. you can manipulate them. I mean, you can do crazy stuff like deer drives and, and so forth, but within the right within the natural movement, they have to want to get up. Um, right, you, you can't okay. trick them into getting up. You might be able to call them out. I shouldn't say that. That might not be true. You might be able to call them out of their bed. Um, you know, towards towards evening. You know, let's say you're you're you know 150 yards away from where the buck is bedding. And you pound your rattling antlers together, you know, 20 minutes before the end of legal shooting time, you might be able to pull him. Um, but I don't think there's anything curious. Yeah. He's going to, he said, yeah. Oh, what's going on over there? You know, I think, I think you could do that, but I don't think you can do anything to reprogram his natural behavior with, you know, the way that you create habitat or the way that you use sense or anything like that. Right. So a mock scrape, within shooting distance of your stand where like if you established one right where you would like a buck to stop during that time might not be a bad idea as long as you can do it without uh contaminating the area with human scent being very careful about how you set that mock scrape up and then uh, potentially using your calls uh to entice a buck to either come over your direction or to potentially even get up out of bed early to go see what's happening. Those are strategies that, that might be worth thinking about. Yeah, I think so. I think that that all makes sense. Um, you have to set your expectation level correctly. And, and, you know, I remember when I first started bow hunting whitetails, I was always looking for a shortcut because you think, Oh, there's gotta be a, you know, a magic pill. And, uh, you know, then all the top hunters would say, there's no shortcuts. And I thought, dang it, there has to be, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I want there to be a shortcut really, really bad. You know, please tell me that there is one. Well, you know, I think we look for those naturally for that shortcut, but in reality, there really isn't one. Um, what you're talking about is about as close to creating a, you know, a realistic shortcut, you know, if you want to call it that, um, that does exist. And, you know, you're always better off being where the deer wants to go and letting them move naturally because they are relaxed. Um, you know, when, when you're hunting them on their terms, they feel comfortable. Um, as soon as you start trying to hunt them on your terms, that takes them a little bit out of their comfort, you know, and then they're, they're going to be, they're going to be more wary. Everything about them is going to be, you know, a little bit on edge. Like even if you call a buck out of his bed, if he's got yeah. the right personality, he comes stomping in and you kill him. But if he doesn't have yeah. that right personality, he swings downwind and smells you and he never wants to come near that spot again for the next two weeks. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so yeah. there, there's always, uh, like I said, there's no shortcuts. There's not like this magic pill. Um, the only shortcut, if there is one, is just spending a whole bunch of time. <laughs> and then maybe that's not a shortcut. Maybe that's the long cut. But, um, you know, the, you, you hunt places that have mature deer and you, you try to keep your impact to a minimum, keep the deer moving naturally and put in a lot of time. Um, there's a lot of different strategies, specific micro strategies that you can use within that umbrella that will be successful. Um, but as, you know, as long as you can keep the deer from knowing that you're hunting them and you're hunting places that have, you know, decent mature bucks around and you have enough time, I mean, that's the magic formula. So Bill, uh, I gotta ask then. So, but, but you also, you also so, sorry, Jeremy, you also have to have a really fast, quiet bow that, that, uh, that, that Hoyt makes. 
there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the short. That's, right that's the shortcut. <laughs> yeah, I, I really misspoke. Oh, didn't I? Yeah. There is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like the whole time, like we got we got a whole line of shortcuts, Bill. Right? Uh, no, but I wanted to ask you uh, something. You said really stuck out. You know, you you want to hunt the deer on their terms, not your terms. But part of part of the fun of hunting the rut is that sometimes those things do work the rattling or the calling i mean so and and i know that you have had success with some rattling or some calling but but generally i guess you prefer to just i guess let it happen naturally like you're saying but so how do you decide when you're gonna try and you know inject your terms well i think for me it's um that point of last resort so you've got a you know, you got a buck that's passing out of bow range that you want to shoot. Um, at that point, there's, you know, you shouldn't have any, you shouldn't hold back uh, anything that okay. might, Easily. yeah, you're not going to get the shot. You've more or less beaten him at his game. You know, he's within sight. He's the mature buck that you're after. Now you just got to figure out how you can close it. And uh, I've had really good success calling bucks in under those conditions. Uh, yeah. I, I don't like doing a lot of blind calling because I feel like, you know, I don't see what's coming. And, yeah. uh, but I've got that buck that I'm, I'm tracking with my eyes. I can wait and I can call. I mean, if he's going to quarter downwind, you know, I can approach it differently. You know, it's like you have a sense of what he's going to do when you can see him and you can make good judgments about, you know, when to call and, and, you know, you can keep your eye on him. You're not going to be surprised when he shows up. Um, the blind calling, I think, is where we can educate a lot of deer fast if we're not careful. Uh, right. Because you don't really know where they're at. You don't know whether it makes sense to call to them or not because they might be almost downwind. And then you call, and the first thing they do, of course, is make that last, you know, 45 degrees in their in their position, and they catch your scent, and then you've just educated a buck. Um, you didn't even know he was there. Uh, so that's that's kind of my philosophy, but other people are different though. I mean, some people just love it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the beauty of bow hunting is you get to do it in a way that, that you enjoy. Uh, you know, my method may not be the absolute most productive, but it's the way that I enjoy doing it. I think some of it, yeah, makes sense. whether that, whether it makes sense to blind call or not, it can be kind of terrain driven, yep. whether you have an idea of where that animal's going to be. If you're in big woods, for instance, you have no idea. He could be 360 degrees around you. You know, um, if you're in a brushy draw in Kansas and you've got a wide open, you know, uh, meadow behind you that's been grazed down flat and you got this big brushy draw in front of you and the wind's coming from the draw, well, then your odds of, of blind calling working better is, is, is much higher. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me, well, like we were talking earlier about you being kind of experience driven bill for me, the interaction is so exciting, you know, um, I love calling them in. Mm. I love rattling in, them in. I love decoying them in. I love doing something proactive to make something happen. There's, to me, you know, there's the excitement of seeing a buck that appears across the field and, and 
being like, oh man, I hope he makes his way this direction. I hope he keeps coming down the trail. He's coming down. And then the, there's an excitement where I see that buck cross the field. I bang the the antlers together and he sticks his head up. And the next thing you know is just beelining toward my direction. That's when my heart comes out of my chest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to be honest, that's why I'm there. Right. It's that feeling that I'm addicted to. It's not necessarily, you know, I can go down to Safeway and buy some cellophane meat wrapped meat and, right. you know, sustain myself just fine. I'm there because I like that feeling, that adrenaline rush that I yep. get from that kind of thing. And for me, that's the that's the number one way of getting it. That's why I like hunting the rut so much. Um is because I feel like opportunities like that happen more frequently. However, from this conversation, it sounds like calling can be a, a very, very effective method during October. It's just a matter of getting on the deer. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think the, again, it comes down to hunting the ones that are killable, you know, in, in yeah. November, a higher percentage of the bucks are killable. Um, so you can, you can deploy strategies in a lot more locations and, and see success. Whereas in October, you have to keep your expectation in check and just say, well, there's only maybe three bucks on this whole property or one buck on this whole property or whatever that I have even a chance right. of doing something with right now. But, you know, getting back to your discussion there, I think it's a valid point that uh, different people have a different approach to, to bow hunting, uh, especially bow hunting and probably gun hunting too. You know, I haven't done a lot of whitetail hunting with a gun, but um, like for me or diff different motivations, you mean? Yeah. Just the different way that they like to hunt. You're like, let's take yeah. an analogy. Like I was a big time duck hunter when I was a kid and I didn't, I didn't like pass shooting. I wouldn't do it. Um, I felt like if I couldn't fool them and get them to drop their feet and, and settle down into the decoys that I hadn't earned the, the duck. Um, right. So that's how we hunted. We never took shots at birds that we hadn't completely fooled. And, uh, for me on, on whitetail hunting, uh, I like to hunt them completely on their terms. You know, I don't even like to manipulate the, the habitat. I know I have friends that, you know, they'll, you know, cut the wire in a fence or they'll do something, you know, or, or, you know, tie one down or they'll, they'll cut down trees to funnel the deer closer to their tree stands. And, you know, I don't have any problem with it. It's legal. You know, I'm all in favor mm -hmm. of it. it. To me, the real fun for me is just trying to figure out, okay, how can I be in this vast area within 30 yards of where that deer is just by anticipating what he's going to do. Um, right. And, and it's sort of like solving a puzzle. Uh, whereas calling, you just, I'm not saying that it's not cool. I mean, I've done it and obviously, yeah. you know, I've killed a lot of deer. I bet you almost half of the bucks that I've killed, I've called in. Uh, but right. You know, they would have been deer that, that I, I almost fooled, you know, on their terms, but couldn't quite, you know, it's like if I had to pick, I would not, I've never set up a spot for calling. Um, right. But other people, that's their, that's their thing. You know, so I, I yeah. that's the beauty of bow hunting is you get to do it your way. Uh, that's, yeah. That's the fun of it. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in the other camp. Um, I'm, I'm probably somebody that you're like, okay, that uh, Ferris's name goes on the list that can't come over to my place and run it. <laughs> <laughs> the next but, year, every single deer just runs as soon as I grab one. <laughs> dude, that's what drives, that's what drives me. And I, I mean, to be perfectly honest at this point and in, in, in my little journey, um, I would rather, I, I'd, 
I'd rather take the, you know, if given the choice, you can kill a hundred and 160 inch by sitting there silently and, uh, and not doing anything proactive, or you can kill 150 inch, but he's going to come in bowed up stomping sideways with his ears pinned back and, you know, puffed up like a gorilla. I'm taking the 150 at five yards puffed up like a gorilla just because I get personally, I get more out of that. That's nice. what that's. Those are the experiences that light my hair on fire. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and, you know, if I if it costs me one every now and again, I'm willing to I'm willing to accept that because those are those are the experiences that I'm after. And like you said, it's one's not necessarily better than the other. Whatever motivates you. That's the beauty of bow hunting. You can do it. You can do it your way. Yeah. You know, the other, the other thing is location specific too. like um, my situation for quite a few years now. I've been able to hunt properties where I have control over how much pressure that these deer get. So sure. I can keep the pressure way off and keep those deer moving naturally for the whole month of November. Uh, so if I right. can do that, my chances of killing that deer go up rather than sort of swinging for the fences early, you know, and, and being aggressive. Um, sure. You know, I could let's say I have one or two bucks on the farm that I'm really after. I hunt them very, very carefully. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and usually they don't know that I'm hunting them, you know, even if I don't kill them. Um, but you know, so some of the strategies that I use are based on that approach where if I was sure. hopping into a piece of public land, for example, where I've got three days, I'm going to hunt there and I'm going to be gone. I'm probably going to be way more aggressive than yeah. I would be yeah. on property that I control. That's the difference. Yeah. That is the That's main totally difference. Different. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you're hunting resident, your own farm and your backyard and you got all the time, you can hunt way different than if you're, you got six days vacation and you drive 12 hours to get to, to a whitetail state yep. and you're going to hunt for six days. You can be patient a couple of days and then you run out of, yeah. and start trying to start trying to make stuff yeah. happen, you know? Yeah. So I think yeah. that's a big difference too, in, in my style versus, you know, that more aggressive style. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it all has to do with, with time and access and, and things like that. Yep. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, if I was in that, if I was in that situation, um, where it was, you know, where I had two that I wanted and I had access to it every single day, then yeah, I might be more willing to think about letting him trot off rather than risk calling at him and having him come down wind of me or something like that, because there's a good chance, you know, 20 days from now, I'm going to get another look at him. Right. You know, yep. um, that's not usually the situation that I'm in, you yep. know, that, that might be what is part of what has led to my more aggressive tactics with things. But then of course I am not near as accomplished as you are I, either. If you, if for all of you out there who are wondering which tactic is for you, listen to Bill Winky. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was my point in, in saying that that was my disclaimer of saying that my style isn't necessarily the right one for everybody because um, you know, my situation really dictates the way that I hunt. Um, and if my situation was different, I'd hunt different. So, right. You know, I just feel like, and, and also, you know, as we talked, there's just certain ways that, that it, I like the surprise. I like it when I'm, when I look up out of the corner of my eye and I see movement and I look over there and I go, holy crap, look at that. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. my side of the rush. Your side of the rush is seeing him stomp across the field. 
my side of the yeah. rush is when he wasn't there. And then all of a sudden he was, and I had no idea that he was even going to be there and he's 27 yards away or whatever. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, that's right. That's where my, that's what really, you know, drives my you. pulse going. Yeah. 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 And I can under, I can understand that. Um, what about, what about you, Jeremy? I know that you are a whitetail nut as well. Have it, what kind of success have you yeah. had in October? What's your, well, I mean, I would rather hunt November. Yeah, but uh, you know, sometimes my schedule is I'm, I, I do have to hunt. You know, the last few days of October, and sometimes I go home empty-handed, wishing I had a few more days in November to hunt. Yep. Um, I have killed. I have killed. You know, a couple bucks late in October with some rattling, and and usually it's like Bill just said. You know, I see the deer. He's not coming my direction and i don't want to watch him disappear because i only got two more days of hunting or whatever so you know then just like bill said i just try it i got nothing to lose at that point he's leaving so you know hit the grunt tube and hit the rattle antlers or you know whatever i've got and and i've had you know some success at that but um you know i i just hope when i go because I don't live in a whitetail state, I just hope I get to see rut activity. Like I want to see it happening. I want to see bucks cruising and chasing and like, that's what I want to have happen first. And then I want to fill my tag second. If I go out there and I'm sit for six days and I don't see any of that activity, man, I go home just really, I don't know, really depressed about the experience. So, right. um, you know, that's kind of what it is for me. I want the whitetail rut. I mean, we talk about it so much, you know, I want to see it when I get my few days out there in the field. Right. And I think, um, I, one thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. Bill is back. Well, sorry, I just cut no, you no. off, but, um, when we were talking about mock scrapes, um, I'm curious what your approach is. Like, how do you do that without, to, you know, Danny said you could really screw up a mock scrape by spreading your scent around. And I w- I'd love to hear your, you know, dive into that a little deeper, I think. Well, I think if you're really, if you're really serious about, you know, impacting what the deer smell or how they, you know, how they move, you have to do it without leaving any human scent. Um, you know, everything else is secondary to that. If they know that you've been there, they're going to be suspicious of anything. You know, they're going to be moving less naturally. So if you can't get to it, like if it's not almost like a mode path, um, you have to wear some kind of leggings or some kind of, of boots or something. You have to maintain that containment of your human scent. Uh, and, and you can't have your garments brushing against vegetation. That's really what they're smelling. They're not usually smelling the ground when they smell, you know, human ground scent, it's sort of a misnomer. Um, they're usually sniffing several inches to a foot or more off the ground. Uh, and they're picking up the spots where your clothing have brushed up against the vegetation. Uh, so if you can't get in there and freshen that scrape, you're better off not making one. Um, but if you can do it, then you do create at least some level of, 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 control if nothing else to control where they stop and maybe the presentation of the shot or maybe you can pull them across like a small opening where you've just increased your odds i mean the biggest challenge with a bow is getting them within 30 yards you know i mean it's usually that's really really hard 
And then with their 50 yards out there, I mean, they're fun to look at, you know, and maybe the odd guy is going to take that shot, but they might as well be 100, you know, at that point or 200. Um, so if there's something you can do to reduce that distance, any little thing, um, that's worth doing. So, I mean, mock scrapes can serve that purpose. Um, but again, not if you're leaving human scent. So you have to have a way to, yeah. to be able to do it without leaving any scent behind. Um, and like I said, the, the PVC waders, uh, I've worn a product over the years that a guy named Scott Whitlock invented a long, long time ago. And he's since, uh, I think he went out of business with it or just quit making them or whatever oh, it yeah. was. The Olim- Limitrax boots. Yeah. I still use them. I've got like yeah. eight pairs of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I still They're, use those things. I think you can find them on eBay still, but um, it's just like a hip waiter. Yep. Little, you know, lined, not lined, but coated Cordura nylon legging. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Huh. And, and uh, you know, I slide those things on and like sometimes the last hundred yards into a tree stand location or to a ground blind or something, if we know we're going to cross trails, you know, the cameraman and myself will put these things on and, you know, zip across those spots. Um, they don't, they don't seem to smell it. Um, they, they are effective and in the same way that waders would be, but waders are a little bit harder to, to manage, you know, if you're going into a tree stand. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on the mock scrapes. They're only effective if you can do it without the deer knowing that you did it. Right. Right. Yeah. So what's the, uh, if you can do it without the deer knowing you're there, what's, what's next for you? Are you, I mean, how are you building the scrape and what are you putting in the scrape? Are you using scents or are you peeing in it or what's your, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things you can do. I'm sure to, uh, to get them to use it, but you know, there've been a, a number of studies and there's scents out there, of course, that are, that are, you know, focused on that. And some of the Midwest Whitetail Pro staff guys have had good success with various ones, but um, sometimes just opening the ground up is enough. You know, you just, you just take your yeah. boot and you and you rip all the turf out of the way and they smell that fresh earth and that's enough to get them started. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of guys that start mock scrapes as simple as that. Um, you know, other guys will, will put a uh, scent on the licking branch, you know, the, the branch that's above the scrape and, uh, Yep. And use that as sort of a attraction, maybe just to get the buck's attention. And then he notices that there's a scrape there and, you know, he, he works that scrape. Um, I don't think there's a wrong way to do that as long as, I mean, even, you know, some studies have shown that human urine um, is, is, you know, an, another option. Um, you know, it, it's all fine and dandy as long as they don't know that a person was there. Yeah. Right. So yep. I think you've and got they, a lot of options once, once you create it or how you create it. I think you have a lot of options as long as they don't know that you created it. Well, and I don't want to rabbit hole down a completely different thing, but you just <laughs> said, as long as they didn't know a human was there, however, human urine can sometimes, uh, ha- has sometimes been proven to be a decent starter. I've had it work with, you know, with, with, uh, sense from several different companies. Um, but I've also had it work with human urine and you know, what, what's your opinion on whether deer can differentiate what kind of urine that is that went into that scrape? Yeah. And this, it's an interesting topic. And, and I actually wrote an article, believe it or not, for, uh, North American whitetail magazine, a number of years back, my working title, I can't remember what Gordon used, but um, should you pee from a tree? That was my working title. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. It, it, it had to do with whether or not you had to carry a urine bottle or whether the deer, you know, could tell when you, 
when you, you know, peed from a tree. And right. Uh, Whether that so, was human urine. Yeah. And and uh I was using anecdotal evidence primarily, but I also interviewed a number of biologists that that were experts in the field. And the conclusion that they came to, I mean, well, anecdotally, I don't see the deer reacting to human urine at all. Um, right. In some cases, they may find, you know, out of curiosity, they may come over and check it out if they're close enough. But it's not like if they're five yards away, they smell it and come running over to, you know, sniff it or they turn and run. They don't react to it like that. They have right. to almost step on it before they even seem to care one way or the other. But uh, so there's not human odor in human urine. Um, and you'd have a hard time convincing me that there's human odor in human breath. You know, I'm, I'm not quite buying that one yet either, but, you know, maybe somebody could convince me of that. I don't feel like what comes out of your body is inherently the stuff that scares deer. It's what, what's on the outside of your body. That's the stuff that they've become accustomed to, to fearing. Um, so anyway, the, the biologist that, that I spoke with said that there's possible, it's possible that they could differentiate between a carnivore and a herbivore um, from the odor of their urine. Uh, but mm -hmm. none of them would go so far as to say they could differentiate the various mammal species that, you know, that may have made the urine. Uh, mm. So, you know, whether they just aren't, they aren't programmed to associate that smell with people. Well, I've shared some hunting camps with Jeremy, and I can tell you right now, there's some odors that come out of him that would scare anything. Oh, that would scare man. anything. Here we go. Here we but, go. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're digressing, and we've been on about an hour, yeah. <laughs> and we want we want to. Uh, we want to save some of this for uh November discussion with Bill. Um, but I think the message is there's definitely more deer being taken, more big deer being yeah. taken in October than there ever has been before. Um, right. Part of it's attributed to the more common use of game cameras, smarter use of more efficient use of game cameras and probably just more people seeing the proof that it can be done and more people getting out there and actually trying it. So there's one thing we probably haven't mentioned yet that, that bears mentioning, I think there's just more big deer out there now than there used to be. Um, yeah. So I just think there's more big deer being killed all the time, whether it's October or November than what there used to be. Um, but as a proportion, like as a percentage of the total harvest, I do believe that October is showing you know, a, a, an, an increase. Uh, but yeah, I mean, gosh, the, when I was a kid, if you had 150 inch deer to hunt, you're like, wow. Wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Now it's yeah. like, well, I might have six or seven of them, you know, if I really pool all of the, you know, the bucks on the properties that I have access to. Which if you think about it, knowing that white tailed deer are the number one most popular species to hunt and that there are more people out there hunting them um, than any other species and possibly than, you know, in, than any other time in recent times, it's a conservation success story, huge conservation success story. Um, and, uh, that's a topic for another day, but, yeah. um, we appreciate having you on here as always bill we hope that everybody out there is uh taking some of this information and if you have access to whitetail habitat and you're in a place where you can go hunt go ahead get on out there it's october and 
you shouldn't be scared. Um, unless you're like Bill and you just don't want to miss the rut so bad that you're uh, you're willing to watch all these big bucks walk around and forego them because you are after the experience in November. But it's definitely doable during October. It's been proven more and more. Yep. So on behalf of everybody here at Hoyt, we thank everybody for joining in and listening. And uh, we will be talking to you sometime soon. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.